As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. All right, so Matt, why was the astrophysicist digging in the dirt outside their office? I don't know. They were looking for wormholes. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. everybody and welcome to the graveyard thank you for joining us tonight my name is adam and my name's matt now pull up a tombstone or settle into your casket and get comfortable because this is graveyard tales (laughs) all right everybody here we are again matt how you doing tonight brother Man, I'm good. Excellent. I'm good. Excellent. So, real quick, if y'all hear any weird noises, it's the rain over here on my end and probably on Matt's end, too. We're both getting iced in. Uh, Mine's hitting tonight. Matt's is going to hit tomorrow. So, if you live around this area, you'll be able to figure out when we're recording this episode. But um, (laughs) it's dumping rain right now and supposed to drop into the 20s, so I will probably be iced in for the next day or so, which will be good. I'll just work on editing the show. So There you go. um, But that's what the noises will be if you hear any pitter-pattering that I can't get out of the audio. Um, But we want to say go check out the Podbelly Network at podbelly.com. And you can find some information on podcasting and you can find shows that you might not find anywhere else that you will enjoy. So we're proud members of the Podbelly Network. Glad to be in cahoots with all those shows. So go check them out over there at podbelly.com. Um, while you're on the intertubes there and you're doing your Google webbing, um, go over to patreon.com slash graveyard tales. And you can sign up to become a patron. Um, We have different levels and you get different perks for each level. Our $10 members get to see the video of the main episode here that we're recording. Um, We do bonus episodes every week. And our $5 and up members get the video versions of those bonus episodes. Um, And also get the audio versions and stuff like that. And we do the occasional uh, um, survey on there to get your ideas on shows and stuff like that. So if you want to be a quote unquote producer, as some other shows say, uh, become a producer of the show, go over there and check us out on Patreon.
All right, Matt. So let's talk about vitamins real quick. One of our sponsors tonight is Care Of, and we've talked about them before, but if you're new to the show or you haven't listened to our Care Of ads in the past, let's talk about them a little bit. Care Of is a vitamin delivery service, which Matt and I absolutely love. And with the busy holiday season behind us, it's important to reprioritize yourself a little bit, especially with the days being cold and short. You know, focusing on your health and finding a routine that works for you should be put to the forefront because we all know, I mean, Matt, you and I, prime examples of this. When it's cold outside, we're less active and you and I sit in front of a microphone a lot and you, you got to find something to be healthy. Yeah, I mean, I, I think I could legitimately be a bear mm-hmm. in the wintertime and yep. just hibernate. Um, but you can't do that, okay? So you're trying to make decisions on how to, how to be healthier, how to do right by your body, and Care Of is there to help. Now, when you get on Care Of's website, you take a short but in-depth quiz about your health goals and lifestyle. And you get personally tailored recommendations based on your answers. You can stick with Care Of what recommends, or you can change up your pack at any time. And, you know, it's a subscription service, yeah, but it's great because it ships these high-quality, personalized vitamins, supplements, and powders conveniently to your door every month. And you can retake the quiz as your goals and needs change. So are, are you worried about your your gut health? You know, then, you know, you go in there and you, you take the quiz and you tell them, hey, I really, you know, I really want my digestive health to be better. And they give you recommendations for that. Or, you know, I, I really, I really want to focus on my skin. You know, I want healthier skin. You, you tell them that and then we're going to, they're going to tailor a regimen of supplements that's going to be beneficial to you. Are you trying to lose weight? They've got products and supplements that can help you meet those goals. And that's the cool thing is when you go on to take that short quiz, and it really is a short quiz. It's only maybe 10 questions, something like that. But it it asks you, what are you... What are you wanting to focus on? And it gives you a, a you know long list that you can pick from. Like Matt said, gut health or skin or immune system or sleep or anything like that. And you pick and then it tabulates and it'll ask you, you know, are you interested in protein powders? Would you be, you know, are you interested in increasing your energy levels? And I know for me... I answered yes to both of those. I I, mm-hmm. I answered yes to the protein powders because I do take protein powders. And mm-hmm. I got a tub of, you know, it, it's plant-based protein. Yeah. And it tastes great. Mix it in with our shakes and stuff before we go to the gym. And yeah. it, I know... It, it really is good. It is. And Matt, I know you got it because we talked about it too. But when you ask or when you answer... Do, do you want help with energy? They they prescribe a rhodiola, mm-hmm. which, you know, in me being the herbalist guy, I know rhodiola is great, so it's cool to be able to get a company that can prescribe stuff like that and send it straight to your door in those cool little packets with your name on them. Yeah. And you get a little saying on the back, 
One of them was I got was text somebody an an emoji that you've never used before. So <laughs> so I did it. I texted Ashley with a whole bunch of emojis I've never used before, and she goes, "What are you doing?" I'm like, "My vitamins told me to do it." And she knew what I was talking about. <laughs> and and don't even get us started on the convenient, the small individually wrapped packages. For each day, you know, no more digging through a whole bunch of bottles, forgetting one, leaving one out, running out of one, and not taking it for two weeks until you can reorder or get back to the store. Right. You've got everything that you want to take right there in that convenient pack. You just tear it open and take them. And it's it's fantastic. It is. And if you want to join the Care Of family like we have and and get your vitamins sent directly to you, and delivery is a big thing nowadays. Everybody's delivering, so why not have your vitamins delivered too? All you've got to do is go to TakeCareOf.com. That's T-A-K-E-C-A-R-E-O-F.com and enter our code GRAVE50, G-R-A-V-E-5-0. Yeah, that gets you 50% off your first care of order. All you have to do is go to takecareof.com and enter our code GRAVE50. That's G R A V E 50. So, Matt. That's all I got, because this is going to be probably a long episode. Um, So we'll keep the intro here short and sweet. So why don't you tell us, what are we talking about tonight, brother? All right. So we've said this before. We say a lot of things. We're going to, yeah, we're going to talk about one of the most haunted places. Okay. (laughs) We hear that a lot. We hear that a lot. Everybody has got a most haunted this or most haunted that. But tonight, this place really backs it up. Right. Okay. We're going to go to Savannah, Georgia. Yep. Which is potentially the most haunted city in the U.S. Um, it, It's just, it is amazing. How many places in Savannah have stories of being haunted? It, it, you just, you, you hardly can even count them. Yeah. And I'm not talking about, oh, well, they say that place is haunted. Well, what happens? Well, the lights flicker every once in a while. Yeah. The building's a hundred years old. I bet it flickers. <laughs> right. No, yeah, no. These places have some serious stuff going on if you want to experience something go to savannah right um you know my 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 parents and my sister went a couple of years ago and went on a big ghost tour while they were there i was i was so jealous it was like you told me about that i was jealous too i was a little upset but you know they came back with some phenomenal stories and i'm gonna share one that they brought back with them tonight um but we're gonna look into several of the most haunted places in the most haunted city of savannah georgia and it's gonna be fun and like adam said it it's gonna be a long one so sit back and enjoy right and like you said man i i I, there's very few 
cities in the United States that could match up to the amount of hauntings that Savannah has. Um, there's a, a couple, but for the most part, it's one or two places in the city. It's not almost every building you go into. So what we need to do is kind of look at the history of Savannah a little bit. We're going to do a brief history of that. And then we'll look at brief history of several places and then talk about the hauntings. But as we say, go check our sources. We got a lot of sources this episode. So go down to the bottom of the show notes, check our sources, and you can find where we found all this information. And like always, we don't get every single tiny tidbit of information because then y'all would get bored and and leave us for other shows and we don't want you leaving us so we're we're greedy we we want to keep you through a whole episode so we try to pick the most interesting but if you want to get those boring tidbits and the extra stuff then go down check our sources at the bottom of the show notes now savannah's recorded history obviously it had a lot of history before the recorded history but the recorded history begins in 1733, and that's the year that General James Oglethorpe and 120 passengers of the good ship Anne landed on a bluff high along the Savannah River in February. Now, Oglethorpe named the 13th and final American colony Georgia after England's King George II. Savannah became its first city. Now, the plan was to offer a new start for England's working poor, and to strengthen the colonies by increasing trade. Now, the colony of Georgia was also chartered as a buffer zone for South Carolina, protecting it from the advance of the Spanish in Florida. Now, under the original charter, individuals were free to worship as they pleased, and rum, lawyers, and slavery were forbidden for a time. Now, they say for a time, and and that's true because... As we'll get into some of these establishments, the the rum came back, and it was it was pirate haven in some of these mm-hmm. places um, because of its locale and all that. But I like also how they said lawyers were forbidden. No <laughs> lawyers were allowed in Savannah for a while. Yeah, get out. We don't need you. Right. It's like that joke. The world would be a better place without lawyers. So, and I don't know if that's a joke or not. That might be true. Sorry if you're a lawyer out there. I don't. I don't mean anything by it. And we and, and we've got friends, podcasting friends that are lawyers. Absolutely, <laughs> absolutely, good friends who are lawyers. So I got lawyers in the family. So I mean, I I pick because I can. Okay. Um, <laughs> So, this says, upon settling, Oglethorpe became friends with the local Yamacraw Indian chief, Tomachichi. Now, Oglethorpe and Tomachichi pledged mutual goodwill, and the Yamacraw chief granted the new arrivals permission to settle Savannah on the bluff. As a result, the town flourished without warfare and accompanying hardships that burdened many of America's early colonies. Now, see, that just proves. Be nice to people, and you'll get along. That's right. Don't be a jerk and everything will be fine. Now, Savannah is known as America's first planned city. Oglethorpe laid the city out in a series of grids that allowed for wide open streets, 
intertwined with shady public squares and parks that served as town meeting places and centers of business. Savannah has 24 original squares. Now, 22 squares are still in existence today, which I thought that was an interesting fact. That yeah, of the tw- it, it is it is weird, isn't it? Yeah, of the original squares, they've they only lost two. So that's kind of cool. They kept the layout. Now, during the American Revolution, the British took Savannah in 1778 and held it into 1782. Now, a land sea force of French and Americans tried to retake the city in 1779, first by siege and then by direct assault, but failed. Now, after independence was secured, Savannah flourished, and soon farmers discovered the the soil was rich and the climate favorable for cultivation of cotton and rice. Now, plantations and slavery became highly profitable systems um, for people in the neighborhood in the low country of South Carolina. So Georgia, the free colony, then legalized slavery. So they it was outlawed for a while, but for some reason they legalized it. Now the transatlantic slave trade brought many Africans African Americans through the port of Savannah. Many who stayed in the area formed the unique Gullah culture of the coastal communities in Georgia and South Carolina. Now, with the wealth brought by cotton, residents built lavish homes and churches throughout the city. After the invention of the cotton gin on a plantation outside of Savannah, the city rivaled Charleston as a commercial port. Now, I didn't know the cotton gin was um, invented just outside of Savannah. I didn't know that either. That was was new news to me. Um, I thought I knew a bunch of these weird facts. Weird, yeah. random facts. I didn't know that one. I tell you what, this is a funny thing. I I read a thing uh, a few years ago about inventions that really changed, you know, the the world. Right, right. And, you know, it was all stuff like the steam locomotive and all that. But the cotton gin is right up there. And I, oh, I yeah. guess... When you learn about Eli Whitney and the cotton gin in school, you don't have an appreciation for how influential that was. Mm-hmm. And even as, you know, as adults, I mean, you know, we, I don't understand how all that works. I can understand that having a machine do something like that as opposed to a person could be faster, you know, more efficient and eventually cheaper. Yeah. Help um, clothe more people that way. But it it really it revolutionized this in industry. I just I'm just throwing that in. It was just it was amazing to me. I was like, I yeah. never gave it that much thought. No, I know. I'm I'm with you. If you don't sit down and think about it, it never never occurs to you that that's the case. Um, now this goes on to say that many of the world's cotton prices were actually set up uh, on the steps of the Savannah Cotton Exchange. And this building is actually still in existence, too. Um, If you're anywhere in Savannah, you can see that. But despite all that, Savannah was not spared from misfortune. There were two devastating fires in 1796 and 1820. Each left half of Savannah in ashes, but residents rebuilt. Now, I, I tried to do a quick search on information about these fires. There wasn't enough to um, 
put in here. I, I, records in 1796 were probably not good. And the records yeah. they kept of that 1796 fire probably burned in the 1820 fire. <laughs> That's what I was going to say. I was like, so, they probably lost any records they had yep. of that one. Right. So it, it was very difficult. There is a little information out there if you want to go find it. But just as as a something kind of tangential to that, most all of the building material in cities like this during that time was wood. Mm-hmm. And the way Savannah was set up, they had close housing. The buildings were close and they were set up in these squares, right? The the town squares and all that. So once something caught fire, it just took off, jumping from one building to the next because it was mm-hmm. so close. It was all wood and it was laid out in a in a way that there were no big not really any big gaps between buildings where the fire could be contained. Yeah. So it just thatched swept roofs. through. Yep. Yeah, thatched roofs and things like that. I yep. mean, they just look like a tinderbox. Oh yeah. And if you look at the history of most cities, most cities in the United States caught fire and burned to the ground at some point mm-hmm. in their history. It just, yeah. I mean, if you find a town without it, it's a unicorn because that, that yeah. was so common. Now, it also says that the year 1820 saw an outbreak of yellow fever that killed one-tenth of its population. So that's wild. Um yeah. It says Savannah also survived, you know, the fires, epidemics and hurricanes and always bounced back. And that's something to keep in mind when we go looking at these um, hauntings. You had not only the Revolutionary War. You not only had a port during the Civil War. But then you had the yellow fever outbreaks. You had the fires had hurricanes, all of this stuff causing huge amounts of death on Savannah soil. Mm-hmm. So from what we've talked about in the past, we know that can leave a paranormal energy at a place. And yeah. if you believe, like we've talked before, that there is a paranormal quote unquote sludge that gets thrown around due to how much negative energy is created during an event you'll know this place has had a lot of those events. So that may may contribute to some of these hauntings here. So the first place that we want to look at, um, and like I said, we're going to do some brief histories of these and then talk briefly about the hauntings too. So the first place we want to look at is the Pirate's House or the Pirate's Inn in Savannah and got some of this information from the ghost city tours there in Savannah. They, they're a good website. If you're interested in anything haunted in Savannah, go check out ghost city tours. Now it says this 250 year old property remains today. One of the most visited buildings in Savannah's historic district. There's been talk that captain Flint of treasure Island. Mm. Once he died in this house. Um, though this has been largely disproved, it is in the novel, mm-hmm. um, Treasure Island. This, The Pirate's Inn features prominently in there, along with Captain Flint. Now it says, but there is another reason why the Pirate's House continues to lure locals and visitors alike. That is because of the tunnel that allegedly runs from its basement to River Street 
or so people say anyway. Um, it says that a more recent and viable historical reason for the tunnel beneath the Pirates Alley is that it was the bar's old crapper. Yeah. Uh, where all the crap went. Um, but you just went down to this tunnel and dropped trial. I think you, you dropped trial in a hole and it just went into the tunnel and uh, then got okay. flushed down. Um, now, this says that still, as the story goes, once the preferred drinking spot for sailors and the rough and tumble folk of the 19th century, the pirate's house was the perfect locale to catch people unaware. So, uh, so unaware, actually, that the term Shanghai was bandied about at large. Now, drunk seamen and criminals would drink at the bar, demanding another and another until they passed out. But when they woke up, they found themselves on a ship in the middle of the sea. And we have talked about uh, Shanghaiing before um, in the Shanghai tunnels, in fact. Yeah. yeah. So um, it, it happened. It happened for sure. And um, they say that uh, the tunnel there under the Pirate's Inn actually, um, actually had that happen. Matt, is that a fly? There is a fly on my head. <laughs> I, I look if, over if and Matt's guys, getting... It, it, if you guys get the video, you're going to see all of a sudden it looks like I have a mole up on my bald head. It's a fly <laughs> that just landed on my head. Right. And I see him getting closer to the, the camera and I'm like looking. What does he have on his head? It's a fly. That fly is getting in out of the cold is what it's doing. Yeah. At least at least it wasn't a wasp like the last. Time. Yeah. No joke. That's another thing. If you watch the videos, there was one episode where Matt was uh, battling wasps <laughs> while we were recording. <laughs> now, this says that some claim the thieves uh, were pirates, while others label them as sea captains unwilling to waste time and recruitment. Nevertheless, these unsavory uh, patrons were dragged down to the rum cellar, the basement of the pirate's house before being brought through the secret tunnel and out onto River Street and put on a ship. Now, today, the Pirate's House is said to be one of the most haunted locations in the city, thanks to the murders, fights, and the lot of stolen criminals that once drank there. And current patrons of the bar have witnessed all sorts of stuff that Matt's going to get into. Yeah, so in, in the Pirate House... Uh, shadow people, other ghostly apparitions have been seen walking through the dining rooms of the the present day building. Now, when when staff are working all alone in the building, they report having a sensation of somebody watching them. We we hear this a lot. Mm -hmm. um, and on one, more than one occasion, they turned around to see an old sea captain from long ago standing there. Looking right in the, looking right in their face, and then he'll slowly disappear. That's not something you hear every day. No, you know? no. I would, I that that would be enough to make me go. Do I really need to continue to work here? You know, <laughs> yeah. it's just going. I mean, it's yeah. one thing if like weird stuff happens. It's another thing, and when you you got a ghost that just shows up right, gets in your face. Mm -hmm. You know. <laughs> That's when you start putting in applications at other other bars and stuff yeah. around town. <laughs> it's gonna you're gonna be hard pressed in Savannah to find another bar to work in that's not on it. 
Yeah, I was going to say that in any place <laughs> that's not haunted there. Now, footsteps can be heard echoing through the restaurant on quiet evenings, and the distinct sound of boots on plank floors have been reported as well. Now, people walking past the pirate's house have also posted a lot of photographs of supposed ghosts through the windows of the house. Uh, but I'm, I'm sure many of these are just excited visitors catching reflections and such. But, you know, who knows? I bet a few of them are, um, they actually caught something. Yep. Yep. Now, as for the ghost of old Captain Flint, like Adam mentioned, uh, people have said they've had run-ins with him. Now, in the book, as Adam mentioned, Treasure Island, it does make mention that Captain Flint was in this building and that he died in Savannah. But there's a problem with this. Captain Flint is a fictional character. Exactly. <laughs> okay, he didn't exist. He wasn't a re- he may have been based on a multitude of of actual pirates, but he wasn't real. Um but it is said that Robert Louis Stevenson visited the pirate house during its heyday and that it served as inspiration for the novel. So here's the question. Did he see an apparition at the pirate's house and inn there that caused him to write about Captain Flint and dying at this place or... Is the apparition some sort of tulpa created by the people that are wanting to see Captain Flint at this place that he supposedly was? And even though he never existed, maybe the ghost is some sort of tulpa of all these people's desires and and focusing. Because as we know, um, we talked about it, a tulpa can be created by putting just so much energy into something. So could Captain Flint's ghost be a tulpa? So I don't know. I it's, it's an interesting thought. Um, but I, I, I really think it's probably just a, a combination of all these different sea captains that he would interact with while he was there. Um, that just helped him create that character. But yeah, you know that, but that character is so, so well done that it you want to believe that he was one of these pirates because the the stories, the real stories of these these pirates are they're fascinating. Yeah, I mean you know I, that the whole the whole golden age of pirates is you know if you want to get into something that's just you can't even believe that this really happened in some ways. Get it. Look into that. You know, yeah. the way that the way that Nassau um, was like a pirate hub. It was I mean, it was just like they they ran the town. Um, it gives me an idea, Matt, for an episode topic that I'll tell you when we get off mic. But I, I think it this the, the, the pirates thing brings up an idea. Yeah. That's cool, because I, I, I love talking about that stuff. Me too. But. We digress. Now, employees at the pirate house have witnessed apparitions of pirates wandering through the dining room and have even seen untouched items just fall off the shelves. Now, 
there is an apparition of a surly male that's dressed like an 18th or early 19th century sea captain. Um, but he's kind of a bully and yeah. he tends to walk through the kitchen and gives a menacing glare to the cook before walking on out. Now in one of the dining rooms, the chairs and place settings are always rearranged during the night after the restaurant closes for the evening. That would get annoying. It would. Cause I, would. I worked in restaurant stuff and I also uh, did room setup. Um, Matt, you and I talked about that before. I did room setup for a church when I was like 15 years old. I'd set up all the rooms and everything. I would be so mad if I had set it all up and then came back in the next day and I was getting yelled at by my boss because it wasn't set up right. I'm like, no, I did it right. I did it right. It was the ghost. Yeah, that's right. Try try that excuse. (laughs) I was going to say it wouldn't work anywhere except Savannah, Georgia, but... Now, although the first floor of the pirate house is the only one that's open to the public, the second floor, which is now used for storage, has its share of activity. With the upstairs air, when the upstairs area was used as a jazz club, the coffee pot in the preparation area was known to throw itself against the wall. Hmm. You hear about people throwing coffee pots against the wall when they're empty or something like that because they're mad. This thing's just mad that it's empty, and it's like, uh, I'm know, throwing myself against the wall. There's that. There's always that famous pirate, Mr. Coffee. <laughs> now, those that venture down to the cellar have reportedly heard yelling from the infamous tunnels that oh, lead to oh, the water. Matt, Matt, I got a good one. I got a good one. You said okay. the, the pirate, Mr. Coffee. Yeah. So if if he loses his leg, would he be decaffeinated? <laughs> oh my god! Ah, <laughs> oh, you you interrupt me for that? Oh my I god! I sure did. I sure did. <laughs> decaffeinated. Sorry. Just continue. Get get ready, folks. It's going to be one of those shows. It is. (laughs) All right. Now, where was I? Okay. I was talking about people going down in the cellar. Now, the supposed tunnels that lead to the water, apparently you can hear voices and yelling. And a, a present day Savannah policeman went down in the basement just out of curiosity. And he says he witnessed apparitions of men carrying a very drunk apparition through the basement area right past the blocked up wall. Oh, wow. So, so, so you, you, gotta, you see, you see pirate ghosts carrying a drunk ghost. Right. You're like, can you arrest them for public intoxication? <laughs> Yeah, I I just thought that Savannah's so haunted, even the ghosts get drunk, you know? <laughs> right. <laughs> now, another story from the downstairs is that of a waitress who went down to the basement just to check it out. She became very dizzy and felt very sick to her stomach, so she quickly went back upstairs. And whenever she went to work, she would feel sick again. So she got the message that the entities in the house were punishing her for entering the tunnel area. So she quit. Hmm. (laughs) What you're going to see is a recurrent theme (laughs) for places in Savannah. Right. 
<laughs> their their t- turnover rate is so high because of this ghost activity. You know when you when you unsubscribe from something and they they want you to take the little survey as to you know why cost was too high, don't need mm-hmm. it anymore, whatever. <laughs> like in Savannah, your exit interview. Uh, uh, don't like the fact that this place is haunted. It's yep. <laughs> it's a check mark for the reason you left. Ghost kicked me. That's why ghost kicked me. Now the paranormal ghost hunters of North Georgia investigated the pirate's house during a ghost stock event. I'm not sure what that is, but it sounds fun. Yeah, uh, sounds like Woodstock one, with ghosts. Yeah, ghost stock. I bet that's why. I bet that's where they got that. One investigator felt something trying to take his flashlight out of his pocket. Hmm. Now, when the investigator that's not a held flashlight. the flashlight in his hand. <laughs> <laughs> Continue. Sorry. I'm telling you. <laughs> all, all, all night, y'all. All night. Yep. It's going to be. But when the investigator held the flashlight in his hand, his hand became colder and colder until he had to drop it on the floor. Oh, that's weird. That's a, yeah, that's a new one on me. I've never heard anything like that uh-uh. where like an object would become cold or hot yeah. or whatever to where you couldn't touch it. Yeah, that is weird. That's I don't know. I mean, if you try to think of the physics of that, would it be they're just doing like making the object colder? Or are they like trying to suck power from it that's making it cold? Or I, I don't know. That's that's an interesting thought. I haven't really considered that. Um but I mean, we've we've actually had stories about other haunted places where the temperature in an area or a, a particular room would get so cold people could actually see their breath. Yeah. So if the temperature drops, I mean, if you've got like a a nice flashlight that's not plastic that's actually made of metal, um, you know, I could see where maybe it would it would get a lot colder than you know when you touch it. Yep. So that that may have been the case, and if you know they were close enough to to a spirit that was causing the temperature to drop, this could happen. That's that's kind of how I interpreted it. Yeah, but yeah. it is weird. It's not one we've heard before. Um, but you know, needless to say, the pirate house is is obviously haunted by something or some things. Um, you know, and it just like all the places we talk about tonight, you can go there. Mm-hmm. It's open to the public. It's it's a operating business, and you can visit. And there's a really good chance you'll experience something. And if you do, you know where to uh, where to tell us about that. Either email or Facebook group. Let us know what happens. Okay, so the next one we want to look at is the Hamilton Turner Inn. Now again, Ghost City site has good information, so a lot of this comes from there. Um, This says that the Hamilton Turner Inn was built by architect J.D. Hall for, quote, the Lord of Lafayette Square, end quote. Now, Mr. Samuel Pug Hamilton, or Pew Hamilton, it's P-U-G-H. Yeah. um, Pew Hamilton, um, who would become the mayor of Savannah and Grand Master of the Knights Templar, um, so th- this guy was prominent if he became Grandmaster of the Knights Templar. That's very interesting. I don't think there's been anybody else that we've talked about that has actually had that title. No, no, I don't think so. 
So that that's unique here. And I didn't even know the Knights Templar were still doing stuff. I, I didn't realize they did anything in the U.S. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I know we we talked about them before, but what we talked about was history. It was historical. It wasn't anything recent. Right, yeah. You, it, you know, it usually goes back to the Crusades. I don't... Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, this says that he and his wife, Sarah, a.k.a. Sally were known to entertain lavishly and wanted a house that would suit their every need, sparing no expense during the creative process. Now, the inn, sometimes affectionately referred to as the mansion, was the very first house in the city of Savannah to install electricity. Now, only four years after that, Thomas Edison invented the light bulb. But, says this really is not all that surprising considering Mr. Hamilton was the president of Brush Electric Light and Power Company. So there you go. Yeah, you're, yeah. you're going to be first. Right. Exactly. Now, it says nonetheless, an amazing sight at the time. And legend has it that people of Savannah would gather just outside of their home in the evening to watch the lights turn on. Now, some kept their distance, though, because they were fearful that the house might actually explode. Yeah. Um, but it's funny. They're afraid of the electric lights, um, in a town that was destroyed by fire twice. Yep. Um, yep. yeah, you know, probably from a uh, lantern. Yeah. Honey, this is, this is just insane. Let's go home and, and light all the lanterns. <laughs> yep. Light the whale oil lantern. So, Cause that's much so safer. Much safer. <laughs> right. <laughs> No, no, no. Keep it away from the wall and the ceiling and the floor and the clothes. Keep it away from everything. But it's safer than electricity. Now, this is during the Civil War. Hamilton was a naval officer who successfully ran the Yankee blockade into Savannah Harbor. He was paid extremely well for this service and thus became wealthy from delivering the goods and supplies that were so desperately needed. So a war profiteer, basically, is what he was. Now, Samuel Hamilton was also a lover of art, and he collected valuable pieces from all around the world with that war profiteering money that we talked about. Now, Hamilton turned his mansion into a private art museum where he took extraordinary measures to protect his immense art collection. During the night, he would even have a guard with a rifle in hand posted on top of the roof. Now, one morning, the guard didn't come down from the roof, and when someone went to go check on him, He was found lying in a pool of blood. It says he had been murdered, and it was quite apparent that someone had shot the guard in the back of the head, the pool of blood being the main indicator, this says. It says the killer was never discovered, and the crime went unsolved. Now, after the murder of the guard, no one was willing to take his place, so Hamilton took up the rifle and kept watch himself. Oddly enough, after several months of standing guard on the rooftop, Hamilton himself got sick and died in 1899. Yeah, he wasn't getting any sleep. Right, right. And standing out in the cold, too, I'm sure. Staying awake all night up on the dead gum roof. Now, here's an interesting fact about the Hamilton Turner Inn. It was rumored to be the early inspiration behind Walt Disney's Haunted Mansion. So if you look at 
Yeah, if you look at pictures of the Hamilton Turner Inn and it looks a little familiar, that's because it it looks very similar to the Haunted Mansion. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Now, Ghost City Tours founder and CEO Tim Nelson recalls his own encounter at the Hamilton Turner Inn. Now, a lot of information we got tonight came from Ghost City Tours website. I mean, they are just a wealth of knowledge Oh yeah. as far as the haunted history of Savannah. Um, but he says, almost six years ago, I spent a night at the Hamilton Turner Inn. Now, this was pre-Ghost City Tours. I wasn't there looking for ghosts. I simply wanted to stay there. I heard the accommodations were amazing, and I wanted to treat myself for the night. At about two in the morning, I was awoken by sounds of footsteps walking past my bed. They were very clear and unmistakable. It sounded like someone was walking right towards me, laying in bed. It can be very unnerving to experience something like this. Yeah, that's that's an understatement. The room was very dark, and I couldn't tell if it was an actual person or something else. I laid in bed for a few seconds, and the footsteps stopped. I asked, is anyone there? The paranormal investigator in me started to kick in, and as I realized nobody was in the room with me, I didn't get a response, and nothing else happened for the rest of the evening. So, you know, it sounds like, you know, he, he was he was in the midst of an experience, and he addressed it, and that seemed to stop it. Um, I'm sure he was probably hoping that it would just keep on going, because this, oh, yeah. you know, it's a great story here. But... Uh, another man named Brent Barry went on record about a time he'd experienced paranormal activity in 1969 when he was 17 and an aircraft mechanic stationed at Hunter Army Airfield. Now, as he told his story, he had ventured out to Savannah one night but was broke. So he decided he would sleep in the mansion, which at the time was vacant and had been pretty well neglected. So he explains the first floor was really dirty, broken glass and debris everywhere. So I went upstairs to the second floor and it was better, but it just didn't feel right. I went up to the third floor and it seemed like a good place to sleep. So I found a corner in one of the rooms and laid down, but it didn't take long before he began to hear noises in the mansion and for the and for his real terror to begin settling in. He says, at first, I wasn't too concerned. It was an old house, sure to have some creaking and thumping noises. Mm-hmm. But later in the night or early morning, I started hearing some different kinds of sounds, bumping and some slow squeaking sounds. He says, now the noises downstairs sounded like they were getting closer to me, like in the stairway it sounded like to me someone was trying to slowly and quietly sneak up the stairs says now i was beginning to get a little concerned he was trapped with nowhere to go except for the narrow stairway that led up to a little room at the top of the house so he says up i went and by now i had a board in my hand thinking that I may have to use it to defend myself. Hey, you got to think this guy is, he's, he's trespassing. Okay. Yeah. I mean, he's, he's sleeping in a vacant building. 
Um, and, and he's got to be thinking at first, somebody else is in here, you know, and, and as Adam and I always say, you know, actual humans are far more terrifying than ghosts, you know, especially in a situation like this. Oh, hundred percent. So he said he was in this small room where there was very little space and the door leading out was gone. So out on the roof, I went, said the moon was bright. So I watched and waited with the board over my shoulder, ready to swing if I had to. So here I am, a drunk kid from Denver, standing on the roof of a Victorian mansion in Savannah in the middle of the night with a club in my hand. (laughs) Boy, don't the best stories start that way? (laughs) Oh, yeah. I mean, I haven't had a story in my life that hadn't started that way. (laughs) So he said he began to ask himself, how in the hell did I get myself into this one? (laughs) Now, he waited there for a long time, but no one ever came out. Although who he expected to see raised other questions. He said, I knew I wasn't going anywhere until daylight. So I just waited there till morning. I didn't get any sleep that night. I bet not. Yeah, no. I don't even know. I guess in 69, things were different. I I surely would not just roll up into an old vacant house thinking I'm just going to crash here for the night. No, you know, no, uh, but like you said, it, it was different, different back then. times, you know, yeah. different times. Now, when children were relegated to the upstairs during one of the Turner family's many parties, they would stay in the billiard room and they would get bored. So their boredom would turn to curiosity as they wondered what the grownups were doing downstairs. So together, the children devised a plan so that they could go and get a peek at what their parents were up to. The children would roll one of the billiard balls down the home staircase. Of course, they would pretend that it was an accident, so they had to run downstairs and get the ball, but that gave them the opportunity to peek in at what the adults were doing. Dang nosy kids. So one evening... A little girl attempted to get close to the edge of the top stair to roll a ball down, and she fell Mm. down the flight of stairs, and this young girl tragically died in the home that night. Today, there are no billiard tables in the home. However, it has been said that billiard balls can still be heard tumbling down the stairs. Wow. They've also been heard rolling about up in the former billiard room. Many guests have been awoken by the distinct clunking of billiard balls echoing through rooms of the hotel. Now, that is a very unique sound. When you hear it, you immediately know, okay, that's that's pool ball. Mm -hmm. Now, other guests have heard children running above and laughing. Footsteps have been heard sneaking down the stairs, just like what these kids would do back during one of the Turner's parties. Dang, kids are nosy even after they're gone. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. Now, the murdered guard that Adam mentioned earlier was often seen smoking a cigar while standing at his rooftop post. Many guests and employees alike have seen a a cigar-smoking ghost milling about the hotel. He's sometimes spotted standing guard near the door or quietly overseeing the hotel's activity. 
He's also been seen perched atop the, the building's roof overlooking the scenery below. That would be kind of a weird sight. Just yeah. seeing an apparition smoking a cigar up on the roof. Yeah. But it it's really cool to me because there there was stories that this this guard would would stand up there and smoke cigars. Mm-hmm. And you know, you you couldn't miss him. I mean, he was up at the roof, you know, standing there with a gun and and people knew. And so you took notice of him being up there. So there were a lot of people that, you know, would see him up there puffing away. So they can directly relate this particular haunting with that guard's murder. And that that's, to me, one of the most fascinating types of hauntings is when you have actual proof of a death or a murder and the ghost is seen doing the exact same thing that the person did in their life. Yeah. To me, that's pretty good validation that it's tied to this and there probably is something there. Yeah. Yeah. So pretty cool stories coming from the Hamilton Turner Inn. Oh, yeah. Now, the next one is the 1790 Inn, uh, sometimes called the 1790 Inn, but they call it the number 17, the word 100, the number 90. So 1790 Inn. Now, says one of the most visited haunted places in Savannah, Georgia, is the 1790 Inn on President Street in the Historic District. Almost every haunted pub crawl in Savannah stops at the bar of the 1790. The building which now houses the 1790 is actually three buildings in total. The first two parts of this haunted building were constructed in the years between 1821 and 1823, and a third part, the eastern part of the building, was built in 1888. Doesn't matter which part of the 1790 you find yourself in, this says, the possibility of having a ghostly run-in is high. So, this next part comes uh, from Haunted Savannah Tours. Um, instead of Ghost City Tours. But it says, At 306 East President Street sits one of the most unique stops on our ghost tours in Savannah, the 1790 Inn and Tavern, or more officially, the 1790 Inn, which I said that all already, but whatever. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) It says He didn't say it like he had it written. (laughs) No, that's true. All right, Adam, uh, let's take a minute and and talk about a subject that you and I love to do, but hate to prepare, and, and that's dinner. Oh, yeah. I mean, I don't, I, I enjoy cooking. Mm-hmm. I really do. I, I think it's great, and I love cooking with my family, but I cannot stand going to the grocery store. I cannot stand deciding what to fix, and nope. you get in such a rut. And if you guys feel this way, then you need to do what Adam and I do and check out HelloFresh. Absolutely. What's HelloFresh? HelloFresh is a meal delivery service where you get pre-portioned ingredients and seasonal recipes delivered right to your doorstep. It allows you to skip that grocery store trip or that long discussion with your significant other on what are we going to have for dinner and let you get right to having fun cooking with your family 
and eating delicious food. Now, HelloFresh has got fit and wholesome recipes for satisfying and nutritious meals that you can feel good about with six recipes per week to choose from, including low-calorie and carb-conscious options. And that's great for us because Amanda and I have decided we're going to go back to the to the low-carb and mm-hmm. and try to shed some of the, the winter weight that we've put on, you know, before bikini season. Well, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. And I, I tell you, Matt, with your low-carb keto thing, they have some meals that can warm you up during the winter and i mean they're they're not that heavy on carbs either but they sound great the beef tenderloin and cheese fondue just the sound of that makes your mouth water and they've got a miso sesame shrimp and bacon ramen and i I tell you man if you try to make ramen at home it's not that easy doing it by yourself and that's the cool thing with HelloFresh. They give you everything you need to make a great miso sesame shrimp and bacon ramen. And one of the cool things is you can customize your favorite dishes with their new Hello Custom offerings by swapping out one protein or side for another, upgrading for a more luxurious experience, or even adding protein to a veggie meal. And that means more choices, more variety, and more meals truly tailored to you. And that's cool because, as we all know, sometimes you do need to tailor some of your meals to kids. Yeah, you know, absolutely. we both we both have young kids, and sometimes they they're like, "Oh, peas, peas are like puke. I don't want that." So if your kid doesn't like peas and the meal has peas, you can switch that out. But Michael loves cooking. I mean, mm-hmm. he, he loves the HelloFresh stuff. He gets excited when we have a HelloFresh meal because he gets to get in there and help cook. And we let him because it makes it so much easier. And HelloFresh is 72% cheaper than a restaurant meal of the same quality. And you can save, on average, over $65 a month when you order HelloFresh instead of grocery shopping. That's money right back in your pocket. So if if you want to get on board with HelloFresh, just like Adam and I, then all you have to do is go to HelloFresh.com slash Graveyard16, that's G-R-A-V-E-Y-A-R-D-1-6, and use the code Graveyard16 for up to 16 free meals and three free gifts. That's right. Just go to HelloFresh.com slash Graveyard16 and use our code Graveyard16, G-R-A-V-E-Y-A-R-D-1-6, and you'll get up to 16 free meals and three free gifts. And it's one of the oldest hotels in Savannah, and apparently it was designed by Steel White, a planter from Virginia, with intentions on opening a boarding house. Tragically, though, a riding accident took White's life before construction was complete. Shortly after, the building became known as the 1790 Inn, and it is not sure why they settled on 1790, but they say that they believe it's clear why they didn't call it the 1820 Inn, because 1820 was a bad year for Savannah. Uh, That's when a fire broke out, destroying much of the city, and entire families were lost due to yellow fever epidemic. So they decided not to call it the name of the year that it was built in. Yeah. But 
which, you know, you're, you're not going to find any, uh, 2020, uh, bars or, Hell no. or any of that. <laughs> no. Like, yeah. Nah, we're, we're going to skip it, that one. Unless it's just a whole bar. You know. <laughs> Wonder if any eye doctors that would have their, you know, twenty twenty in their name would be like, yeah, we gotta teach oh, yeah. this. That's true. They all <laughs> rebranded <laughs> last yeah. year. Yeah. Nope. Nope. Now, there are at least three ghosts which are believed to inhabit the seventeen hundred ninety inn. Anna is the most well known. Now guests staying in room two oh four frequently report strange happenings such as jewelry or clothing being mysteriously moved from one place to another. Some have experienced being nudged or having bed covers moved, but she always seems to be a friendly spirit yet always wants to make her presence known. Now, according to folklore, Anna was a bride of an arranged marriage who fell in love with a sailor in the early 1800s. She's said to have thrown herself uh, to her own death from a third floor window onto the brick courtyard below, just as the sails of his ship left her sight and headed down the Savannah River to the sea. Now, some suggest that she was pushed from the window by her angry husband-to-be who had paid for her passage to Savannah. Hmm, Maybe. Uh, either or they're both pretty tragic to be honest with you now there's a boy named thaddeus that is sometimes seen on the ground floor of the restaurant and tavern thaddeus leaves shiny pennies lying on the tables bar and the desk now he too is a friendly spirit who is sometimes who is sometimes experienced as a warm unexplainable presence which is which is different because we usually associate um, contact with a spirit or something as being cold. Yeah. Now this one, it it kind of has a, a a warm fuzzy for you. So when that yeah, that's totally new. Like there's very few that we've talked about that, especially aren't somebody you're related to that mm-hmm. gives you a warm yeah. fuzzy feeling. You might get that from relatives, but not some stranger ghost anywhere. Right. He's just giving you a nice ghostly hug. Yeah. What it is. Yeah. Now, sometimes we all need a good ghost hug. <laughs> yeah. You know, why not? Now, Anna and Thaddeus are friendly ghosts, much like their buddy Casper. Um, <laughs> but the third one, hey, he's, uh, he's not so nice. Um, this particular spirit sometimes roams the kitchen area of the inn. The clinking sound of metal bracelets is often fa- followed by pots and pans being tossed about or spice jars being thrown at unsuspecting kitchen workers. Sheesh. <laughs> yeah, can you imagine? You're in there, order up, and then you have to duck real quick as like the pepper comes flying across the room. <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. I got you know, uh, you know, workman's comp claim. What happened? Well, I got clocked by the paprika. Yeah. yeah, you're asking sous chef or whatever to pass you some spice, and then it hits you in the head and flying across the kitchen. Now, another ghost, which has been reported at the 1790 over the years, seems to enjoy taking residence in the kitchen. 
let's deal with the kitchen. You know, everybody, you know, they want to cook. Ghost got to eat, man. This this is the ghost. It is much more sinister in nature than the ghost, which is sometimes seen upstairs. Apparently, this ghost uh, is not very fond of women being in the kitchen. Pots have been thrown. People have been pushed or touched. And pranks have been pulled on women who are working in or around the kitchen. Staff members who have been working late at night in the area of the bar or kitchen have had unnerving things happen to them. While alone in the 1790, they will hear the sound of someone moving in the kitchen, pots banging together, and the sound of metal jingling. So, you know, that's, that's a lot of activity for, you know, one room in a haunted tavern. Mm-hmm. Um, now, the staff believes that this is the ghost of a servant who used to serve the family who lived in the house. The woman in question was believed to be a practitioner of voodoo. Hmm. So they speculate that maybe it was her belief in voodoo that allowed her spirit to maybe hang around for a little bit longer. Yeah, and, maybe. Uh, and throw spices and pans and push people. Could be. But, you know, as... as- we know from our episode on voodoo, it gets a lot of bad rap and people put a lot of negativity toward voodoo when it really doesn't have anything to do with that. But I mean, maybe it could through her practices. She was able to just say, no, I'm sticking around here. I'm, I'm going to stay. Yeah. Voodoo, like anything else, it's all in how you use it. Oh, yeah. Yep. I mean, you know, it can be used for good. It can be used to be not so good. Um, yep. So it, you know, voodoo itself is not bad. It's right. just the way it was practiced. Right. All right. So the next one we're going to look at is probably one that if you looked into any hauntings in Savannah, you will know. Mm-hmm. This is a, a very popular one talked about a lot. It's the Moon River Brewing Company. Um, and I actually got this from the Moon River Brewing itself, uh, talking about um, its history here. It says, housed in one of the oldest, most historic, and genuinely haunted buildings in Savannah, which, I mean, what is an ungenuinely haunted building in Savannah? <laughs> I thought they were all genuinely haunted. Yeah, some of them just have have a dude wearing a sheet that just wanders around. Oh, Oh, yeah. We're the only not haunted building in Savannah, so we (laughs) have to make up some stuff. (laughs) Earl, take the sheet off. Just go back to bed. You're not fooling us, Earl. Um, So this says uh, that we invite you to experience the history of our excellent food and handcrafted beers firsthand. Now, it all started with... um, Elazar Early, a native of Charleston, South Carolina, who constructed our building as the City Hotel in 1821. Not only was it the first hotel in Savannah, but it was also home to the first branch of the United States Post Office in Savannah. It also served as a branch of the Bank of the United States. Um, And this says it must have been convenient having a hotel, post office, bank, and bar all under one roof. Yeah. And I can see how that would be. Yeah. It's convenient now, and we see it all the time. Oh, heck yeah. 
Now, this is during the hotel's tenure, many notable people stayed at the hotel. The guest included um, War of 1812 hero Winfield Scott, the Marquis de Lafayette, the first three Commodores of the United States Navy, and naturalist James Audubon. That's cool. Yeah, yeah you com- don't hear about the Commodores were there. Yeah, yeah. maybe that's the first- where they wrote Brick House. Ha! <laughs> <laughs> I didn't wow, know they were Richie in the navy. Was there? Wow! Yeah. <laughs> this says Audubon stayed six months at the hotel while attempting to sell books of his wildlife sketches. Now, in 1851, Peter Wiltberger bought the city hotel. He renovated it and put a live lion and lioness on display to draw attention to his business. That's always smart. Yeah. (laughs) And the original lion King, huh? Kind of like tiger King, but not okay. Now the city hotels, final guest checked out in 1864, just before the arrival of general Tecumseh Sherman during the war of Northern aggression and the subsequent closing of the hotel. Now at the turn of the century, The building was used as a lumber and coal warehouse as the use of coal slowly died off. The building was used for general storage. Now, in the 1960s, the space was renovated as an office supply store complete with a large printing press. Now, the building sat empty until 1995 when it was renovated into its current configuration as a brew pub. Now, the Moon River Brewing Company debuted in this space on April 10th, 1999. Don't you love how even the history of this place from Savannah says the war of Northern aggression? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> even, now, <laughs> even now. I know. They, it, it's, they keep it. Keep it alive here. Okay. It, weird. Weird. <laughs> now, the Moon River Be- Brewing Company. I'm going to screw this up so many times. <laughs> <laughs> Moon River Brewing The Moon River Brewing Company is widely known uh, as one of, if not the most, haunted places in America. The ghost stories that surround the brewery are probably the best known stories in the ghost hunting community. Every floor of the brewery has some sort of ghostly activity, with the basement being considered the most active. The most famous ghost of the brewing company is named Toby, and is often seen wandering around in the basement. Now, this is one of the ghosts that the staff sees often enough, they decided that he deserved a name. Toby is known to brush up against the people playing in the billiards room or just get frustrated and push them. So can you imagine, like, if if Jim can sink this eight ball, he will win a thousand dollars. Oh, what a, you know, he choked, but he's like, Toby, push me for crying out loud. Yeah, you know, I get a mulligan on that one. That was Toby. <laughs> sure. Terrible. Be terrible. You, you don't bet on pool at the Moon River Brewing Company because Toby's going to, he's going to screw you hard and you're going to lose No joke. <laughs> no joke. I don't bet on pool anyway because I kind of suck, but I could at least use that as an excuse. Yeah. Now, just some of the experiences reported by staff and customers include sudden coldness, bottles falling or being thrown, and the feeling of being touched by someone who is not there. Now, on the second floor of the brewery, 
is where James Stark was shot by Dr. Minus. Many people believe that Stark is the reason that people report liquor bottles being thrown. Not, yeah, that, it's, that's dangerous. You know, I mean, oh, yeah. you, know, you think about it. I mean, I'd, I'd rather get the paprika thrown at me than a bottle of Jack Daniels. No joke. Those bottles are thick. Yeah. Now, there are also those who believe that he is the reason for some of the more violent reports of grabbing, hitting, and pushing that people experience while inside the brewery. The second floor is also where the dining room is located, and there have been a few customers who have said they have felt someone touch them while they were eating, but no one was around them. Several women have also complained of feeling cold in the bathroom or being locked in a stall. Oh, wow. Which is weird because most stalls lock from the inside. Mm-hmm. Those that lock from the outside aren't very effective. <laughs> no, those aren't the one. If you see a lock on the outside of a stall, don't go in it. That's right. Yeah. It's a bad idea. Now, a full body apparition that's known as the woman in white has been seen on the third floor several times by many different people. She is one of the most well-known ghosts of the brewery and is sometimes referred to as Mrs. Johnson for really no reason other than they, huh. they like to name their ghosts at the movie. I was going to ask uh, if you had a, a reason. I did, you, you, I did. I could not find an actual story that correlated with them calling her Miss Johnson. So Yeah. Now, the third floor is one of the floors where many children died of yellow fever. So... At, at one point, the building was used as a hospital. I think a lot of big old buildings at one point were used as, like, especially during yellow fever outbreaks or right. wars, they they got kind of taken over and used as hospitals. Yeah, because they, they had to quarantine these people. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they just, they didn't have enough space. So, you right. know, a lot of these bigger buildings, as Adam said, or turned into makeshift hospitals. So it's no surprise that many workers and patrons have reported hearing children talking and playing on this floor. When even the people who run the brewery are talking about hearing children running in the halls, you know there's something going on. Yeah, especially because kids aren't really allowed in liquor establishments. So you know it's not just a kid. Now, in the 1990s, there was construction being done on the third floor. And during this time, the wife of the foreman was pushed down the stairs on the third floor and fell all the way down the staircase. Mm. She was shoved hard enough that it was clear she had not simply fallen. The foreman immediately stopped construction on the building and left. Several other people have reported feeling uh, some something pulling on them or pushing them while they walk on the stairs of the brewing company. This particularly takes place on the third floor, which many people argue has the most aggressive spirits in the building. So if you don't like that kind of stuff, just stay away from the third floor. Right. Just stay on the first floor. You'll be all right. Yeah. Now, the top floor doesn't have the activity that the other floors have, but instead visitors say that it has a dark energy um, that isn't present in the rest of the building. Okay, so when the building served as a hospital, the majority of patients with yellow fever were housed on the top floor. Oddly enough, other than the strange energy, 
People do not report ghostly experiences here like they do on the other floors. And it's sometimes speculated that not even the dead want to hang out where there was so much pain, despair, and death. That makes sense. I mean, you know, these ghosts are like, man, this place is a drag. You know, they they are not the ones that want to stick around the place they died. Right. They're like, look, I died up there. I don't want to be there anymore. I'm going to go somewhere else. Yeah. But, you know, the energy is there. I mean, that much death, you know, is Adam. Adam used a great uh, analogy earlier that that much that much negative activity just it just leaves a stain um mm-hmm. and and that energy as we've seen in other haunted places can attract activity to it right. almost like a magnet right so the next place we want to look at is the Kehoe house now this says that in 1842 at the age of 10 William Kehoe immigrated to America from County Wexford Ireland Now, he was with his mother, his father, four brothers, and three sisters all in tow. Now, the family settled in the old Fort District of Savannah with other Irish immigrants, and William apprenticed uh, at an iron foundry and worked his way up to foreman. Eventually, he bought the foundry, which was at the time located east of Broughton Street. Now, after World War I, he built a new foundry on the riverfront, and quickly became one of Savannah's most successful and prominent businessmen. Now, in 1868, William Kehoe married Anne Flood, and the two quickly started a family. Their first address, located on Columbia Street, was 130 Habersham Street, and as his business and family grew, Kehoe built a larger, more stately home. He liked the historic district so much that he purchased the southern half of the lot located diagonally across the street uh, for $950. Man, I know that was a lot (laughs) back in the day, but I'll give you $950 for half of a district. Yeah, no kidding. Now, the Kehoe House was designed by DeWitt Bryan or DeWitt Brune, uh, B-R-U-Y-N, and was built at the cost of $25,000. The home was completed in May of 1892, whereupon Mr. and Mrs. Kehoe and their 10 children moved into their new home. Now, Mr. Kehoe's heirs sold the house in 1930, and in the 30 years following the sale, the property was used as a boarding house, a funeral parlor, and held for a time by Alabama and New York Jets football star Joe Namath. Now, in 1990, Mr. Namath sold the property, and after a two-year renovation, the property opened as a historic bed-and-breakfast inn aptly named the William Kehoe House. The property was sold again in 2003 and purchased by its current owner, HLC Hotels, in May of 2007. So, when you mention the Kehoe House, there is one ghost story that always comes up. It's that of the lingering spirits of two of the Kehoe's children that supposedly died after becoming stuck in the home's chimney. Now, despite the fact that this story has been thoroughly debunked as having never happened, the story continues on. 
fueled by regular reports of ghostly sounds of children playing. Because, I mean, you know, why let the truth get in the way of a good story? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) I guess have reported the sounds of children running up and down the halls, even hearing their young voices. Apparitions of children have been reported in some of the second floor bedrooms. There are no stories of the child spirits interacting with guests or staff, leading some to believe that this may be more of a residual haunting. like. The stone tape thing. It's just replaying yeah. um, regular routine things that these children would have done in the house. And if you haven't listened to us before, there's a couple, like if this is your first episode, hi, first of all. Um, but uh, we talk about the stone tape theory a lot, which is basically just the the ground, the walls, the building, whatever has recorded an event and plays it back sporadically throughout eternity. Um, Another type is the intelligent haunting, which those are the ones that actually interact with you, speak with you, answer questions or whatnot. So this seems to be just the stone tape replaying theory. Right. And at least one of the ghosts in the Kehoe house seems to be of the intelligent variety. And as Adam said, an intelligent haunting is where a spirit will interact with the living. And there are plenty of reports of this happening at Kehoe House. This might explain why the guests at Kehoe House are often report the feeling of someone touching them while they sleep. Look. No, thanks. uh, You just don't. Don't even, don't don't even start with touching me while I'm asleep. Oh, I know. Okay. That's wrong time and place to be doing that. (laughs) Yeah. Numerous people have stayed at the Kehoe house, have reported that that particular ghostly phenomenon. And just imagine you're, you're lying in bed peacefully, relaxing after a long day of exploring Savannah. And the next thing you know, you feel a phantom hand on your head or grabbing your arm. No. Now, you're like, no. I, I startle easily anyway. Just ask Amanda because she likes to scare the crap out of me all the time. <laughs> and Madison does it too. And, you know, I always scream some expletive, you know. <laughs> yep. It just, yep. it happens. And even she knows. You know, touching on me like that in my sleep, I'm I'm liable to jump up and and swing. Right. You know, not right. meaning to, Same. but you know, it's just how I am. Now William Kehoe's presence is reportedly felt in the study, and the friendly apparition of his wife Anne has been seen sitting on a bed, writing at a desk, and even walking the halls on the third floor. Now, it's reported that William also rings the bell to enter the home after hours and turns on the lights in the study. Hmm. So, you know, there's quite a bit of activity here. And the fact that there, again, is another spirit that physically interacts with guests. I mean, we just... We hear about those things, but to have this many of them in one town, it it's right. crazy. Yep. So, you know, I mean, we've seen a lot of places that have 
residual hauntings, cold spots, orbs, you name it. But there's not as many that will actually have a spirit that will touch or grab you. Yeah. Yeah. And and we're I mean just about every place we've talked about up to this point has had a spirit that will put their hands on you. Right. And we you know you've had multiple different types too of of spirit activity. Right. You had intelligent, you had stone tape theory. I mean there, there's all sorts that's happening in Savannah. Now, the next place we want to talk about is the Sorrel Weed House. And I'm sure you guys have heard this name before uh, from other shows on hauntings or just from hearing about Savannah. Yeah. If uh, if if there's not a uh, a dispensary that goes by this name, they've missed the boat. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's a good point. That's a good point. I was trying to quickly come up with a pun on Sorrel, but I can't. So I'm just going to move on. Just add in some pun about Sorrel Weed House and a dispensary here and and give me credit for it since I couldn't come up with one. Now, this says the Sorrel Weed House is a historic landmark located near Savannah, Georgia's landscaped Madison Square. The manor stands out with its architectural splendor and rich Deep South history. Its ghastly past has rendered it one of the most haunted locations in America. Now, the house stands where the British built their fortress, their fortresses in preparation for the 1779 Siege of Savannah, one of the most significant and gruesome battles of the American Revolutionary War. That's going to give you residuals there, mm-hmm. just that. Now, it says, much like the other historic 19th century homes in the city, the Sorrel Weed House also carries ties to the American Civil War as it was Confederate General Moxley Sorrel's childhood home. Now, the home was also visited somewhat frequently by Confederate General Robert E. Lee, who was a close family friend. Now, according to legend, the home's paranormal activity stems from the tragic death of Francis Sorrel's second wife named Matilda. Now, Lucinda, his first wife, died of yellow fever in 1827, and Francis went on to marry her sister, Matilda, two years later. Okay. That's just, I mean, yeah. (laughs) That that stuff was more common than you might want to think. Yeah. I was going to say, it, it, we shake our heads at it now, but uh, it wasn't looked down upon like now it would just be really you married your sister-in-law really well you know but, i mean it, it was a way it was a way um to continue to take care of your your late wife's family right right you know, there could be better ways to have done that but again it it, it was a more common practice then yeah and it was the time where arranged marriages were more common. And so marriage didn't have to mean love. Marriage just meant financial stability. Mm -hmm. Now this says the already uncomfortable story takes a dark turn when Matilda jumps to her death from the second story after she discovers Francis having, having an affair with a slave girl named Molly. Molly is said to have committed suicide as well, hanging herself in grief. 
Now, records indicate that Matilda did commit suicide in 1859 by plunging to her death. According to Sorrell's friend, Charles C. Jones, Matilda jumped from the second or third story window in a, quote, fit of lunacy. And as a word thrown around a lot there, lunacy back <laughs> yes. in the day. Now, it says the details were described in a letter Jones wrote to his mother. In the letter, he also confirms that the suicide happened next door at 12 West Harris Street, where the family lived after Sorrel sold his home to Weed. Now, in her reply, Jones's mother states that she was aware of Matilda being depressed for some time, although it doesn't seem like many other people knew of Mrs. Sorrell's struggles. And at the time, like we've talked about in previous episodes, uh, having depression or some type of mental illness like that was seen as really bad. And it was um, embarrassing to people. And, and so you just didn't talk about it. You just tried to sweep that under the rug. Whereas now we have a healthier understanding of that and know you need to talk about it. They didn't then. Right. Now, it says Matilda was an active member of the board of the female uh, asylum before her death and word getting out that she had a mental illness would have been detrimental to her career. So she worked as a member of the, the female asylum board. And for some reason, back in that day, if you had said, well, one of the board members also struggles with mental illness. And oh, no, big problem there. Yeah. I mean, it was, it was, it was bad the way mental health was, was treated during this time. There was a, a lot of bad stuff that happened during that time, but true enough. But the ghosts of Molly and Matilda still haunt the Sorrel Weed House. Visitors have seen dark silhouettes walking through the halls and some have captured photos of the spirits. Others claim to have seen the reflection of female apparitions in the mirror without the physical bodies to accompany them. Now, the ghost of Molly is said to haunt the slave quarters. A man once rented the space to use as an office and was unaware of the history. He claimed to constantly feel a sense of uneasiness as if he was constantly being watched. Others who have entered the room claim to feel sick or drowsy upon coming in to the slave quarters. Some even say they feel like they're being strangled by a rope, which could be a residual memory of Molly's death who hung yeah. herself. So that uh, that that kind of gives me the willies. I, I don't want to yeah. feel that. Um and and I can only imagine what people that have experienced that must have thought like, oh God, this is, this sucks. Get me out of here. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, I can't imagine. <laughs> now, some have claimed to hear the sounds of a social gathering in the living room of the house. The sounds suddenly stop when anyone approaches. The source of the sounds has yet to be found, though it's believed that the Phantom Gathering is a residual from one of the many socials hosted by the building's wealthy occupants. Now, some say they feel a dark psychic energy upon entering the house. The dark energy is said to stem from the bodies buried at the Siege of Savannah, as a similar aura hangs over the Madison Square as well. 
The dark feeling is often accompanied by the sounds of warfare, which can be heard during especially quiet nights. A writer for Country Living, David Duran, had a very interesting experience while staying at the Sorrel Weed House. While taking photos in the dining room, uh, he caught something that he probably shouldn't have. Now, his account goes like this. It wasn't nudity, was it? No, it wasn't nudity. Okay. <laughs> In the dining room, there was a large wall and mirror, and for some reason, everyone was snapping pictures of the mirror, apparently because it was the location of various orb sightings. I took my mirror photos and while standing there, reviewed them on my phone, and there was nothing immediately visible. So I continued the tour mostly disappointed but the next morning while laying in bed and scrolling through the photos i had taken the night before i came across something that still makes me shudder when i think about it i saw what i had been hoping to see but didn't really want to see i examined the images carefully i was looking for green lights or anything spooky really when i came across what looked like an old school double exposure Everything was basically bright white, but beyond that, there was nothing out of the ordinary. It was the next image that gave me chills. In one of the photos taken of the dining room mirror, there was an extra face in the reflection. Someone who hadn't been standing in the room with us. He says, when I showed my friends who had been on the tour with me, we checked the timestamps and sequence of my photos while comparing them to the shots they had captured. A lot of us had the exact same images as we were standing in the same area as we took our photos, but my camera had caught something else in the historic home's dining room mirror. After comparing various timestamps and images, what we saw just didn't make any sense. There was a figure of a man standing in the background off to one side in the reflection of the mirror. The man didn't fit at all. His hairstyle and manner of dress appeared to be from another time period. The more we examined the image, the more frightening the facial features appeared, almost as if the man was looking directly at the camera. The Hmm. timestamps show guests of the tour standing in the same spot as he appeared just moments before the image of him appeared where he was where he was standing alone, followed by an image of those guests right back in the same spot, almost as if he made them disappear so he could appear. So I was able to look at these photos. Okay. They're online. You can go see them and he'll, he has them. What I saw the three corresponding photographs, the first one, then the one that looked overexposed, and then the one that had the image in the mirror. So when you're looking at the first image, it's there's, I don't know, maybe, you know, nine or 10 people in the dining room milling around. You see their reflection, you know, from the photograph, and there are two people standing close to the mirror. You actually see them in the photo, and then you see the reflection of their heads in the mirror behind them. Right. The next image is 
just mostly all white. And then you go to the third. And in the third, what you see is those two people whose heads you could see their reflection of, you no longer see their reflection. They are still standing there, but their reflection is not there. And instead, you see a man from about mid-chest up, okay? And it looks like he is looking right at the camera. Oh, wow. And you go, you go back and forth because this is one of those things where you say, well, somebody just wandered into the shot. You know, it was, he was, you know, you took a few pictures and this guy just happened to move while you were taking the the photo. But you, you can't explain why these other people standing in front of the mirror don't cast a reflection in it at that point. when they did two photos earlier. And this guy, there is nobody in those photos that you can say, that's just that guy. And he moved. So, I mean, it, I was looking at it and I was, it's creepy looking. It really is. Yeah, Even if you just wild. said, Hey, look at these three photos I took at a supposedly haunted place. And you looked at it, you immediately pick up. This is the, where did this guy come from? Mm-hmm. And, and so, you know, apparently in the other images, he's not there. So that's crazy. Yeah. Really crazy. Um, so there's, I mean, these places are, are, are pretty active. I mean, you know, and, and, and here's this writer, David Duran, who went there just kind of hoping he was going to catch some orbs and he caught something like this. Yeah. Yeah. That's nuts. I, I mean, to block out the other people to basically make the other people disappear. That's one of the wildest things about it is you, you get pictures of heads popping up in mirrors that uh, aren't people in the room but to affect it so much that you just kind of overtake the whole mirror that's wild now next place we want to talk about is fort jackson now this comes from the coastal heritage society and it says this fortification is located on the savannah river just three miles east of the city it was constructed in 1808 as part of President Thomas Jefferson's second system coastal defense initiative and named after Revolutionary War patriot James Jackson. The brick fort was constructed over an old earthen battery from the Revolutionary War, which had been called Mud Fort. Soldiers were stationed at Fort James uh, Fort James Jackson to guard Savannah during the War of 1812. Following the War of 1812, two periods of construction continued expansion of the fort from the 1840s to 1850s, prior to the outbreak of the American Civil War. When you say the outbreak of a war, it, it sounds like the war is a disease. It, yeah, it just you know? happened. And all of a sudden, there we were at war. (laughs) Yeah, a war epidemic just broke out. Now, this says that local Confederate militia units occupied the fort at the start of the Civil War in 1861. In 1862, it became the headquarters for Savannah's river defenses after the fall of Fort Pulaski. In 1864, the Confederate troops quickly evacuated Fort Jackson just prior to the arrival of federal troops under the leadership of General William Tecumseh Sherman after his infamous march to the sea. 
leaving Fort Jackson under the control of federal troops. The last American soldiers to be stationed at Fort Jackson were members of the 55th Massachusetts, um, an African-American unit of the federal army. The war department abandoned the fort in 1905 and the state of Georgia reopened it in 1965 as a maritime museum. After the state decided to close the museum in 1975, the newly formed nonprofit Coastal Heritage Society approached the state in 1976 asking permission to reopen and operate the site, which was granted. Now, the historic site was now referred to as Old Fort Jackson in 1978. Fort Jackson and CHS came under the leadership of Scott W. Smith. Now, operation continued to grow with modest success, as did development of educational programming for regular guests and student field trips. Currently, Old Fort Jackson has a successful model of independent operation and a solid reputation of delivering high-quality, engaging educational programming for booked groups. This program, uh, this program offering has been expanded to regular operation for daily museum guests and includes cannon, musket firings, and other interactive and hands-on activities. That'd be neat to see a, a cannon firing while you're there. I love touring old forts. Yep. I mean, yep. it, it it's just cool. I think the appearance is cool, how they built certain things. And when you learn how the fort was used and, you know, how uh, all the little ins and outs of it where, you know, this, this was positioned here so that they could fire, you know, this right. way um, and, and still be undercover or something, something, some oddity like that. I always find that so interesting. But you also do find a lot of hauntings in old forts, and Fort Jackson is no exception. Now, just before General Sherman captured the fort during the Civil War, an unusual incident took place at old Fort Jackson. A new recruit named Private Patrick Garrity was charged with guarding the drawbridge. He had a deep hatred for his superior, Lieutenant George Dickerson. Nobody really knows why he hated the lieutenant so much, but many speculate that Dickerson was anti-Irish and anti-Catholic. And mistreated, he was a Dickerson. Yeah, mistreated Garrity and his peers. So one night, when Lieutenant Dickerson was returning to the fort, the private seized the moment and took his vengeance. Garrity snuck up behind the lieutenant, smashed him on the head with his musket, breaking Dickerson's skull in four places. Oh, wow. Dickerson hit the ground, and Garrity kept bashing his head until his musket broke. Mm. That's like telling somebody you're going to slap them till, they're, till your hand hurts. <laughs> yeah, right. I'm going to beat you with my musket until it breaks. Yep. That's crazy. Now, when nearby soldiers caught wind of the attack, Garrity dropped his gun and took off toward the Savannah River, attempting to escape. Now, Garrity was too tired to swim and was overtaken by the strong current, so he drowned trying to get away. Now, unbelievably, Dickerson survived the attack. Holy cow. He woke up moments later, unable to remember what happened. Yeah, no, no joke. Yeah, you just got the daylights beat out of you. That's <laughs> yeah. crazy. The lieutenant's injuries 
forced him to step down from his post. Damn, he's lucky he's not dead. Jeez. Yeah, no kidding. But Private Garrity's ghost still roams Old Fort Jackson. He often appears in the same spot where he attacked the lieutenant. He's recognized by his Confederate attire. At first glance, one can easily be fooled into thinking Garrity's ghost is actually part of the reenactment crew. But the ghost yeah. is only visible from the waist up, which oh, weird. pretty well startles anybody who comes across him. Uh, yeah, if you thought it was a person and then all of a sudden you're like, hey, you ain't got no legs. Yeah, right. Right. You're just hovering here. Where are your legs? <laughs> One person who claims to have witnessed the ghost of Private Garrity was the site manager, Greg Starbuck. I hear his coffee is fantastic. It's all right. It's (laughs) overpriced. Greg's encounter occurred late one evening when he was closing the fort after a long day of work. It was then he saw something walking in the shadows and an apparition of who looked like a Civil War soldier. Upon closer examination of the ghost, Greg said that the soldier appeared to be a rebel as his coat was a shade of gray. Not wanting to press his luck, Greg stepped back from sight and then recorded his account in the logbook and left. (laughs) It's like, I'm done for tonight. I will see you guys tomorrow. Now, As a fan of the supernatural, thrillers, and all things horror, this is the greatest month ever. Why? Because Shudder's released the most amazing shows, and Matt and I cannot get enough. And with Shudder, you can stream supernatural, thriller, and horror movies and TV shows across all your favorite devices. Shudder's streaming library has just about everything, from original movies like VHS 94, The Boy Behind the Door, and PG Psycho Gorman, to the hit series Creep Show by executive producer Greg Nicotero of The Walking Dead. If you're a fan of old classics or looking for the next classic, you're going to love Shudder's collection from around the world. They've got The Wicker Man, Blood on Satan's Claw, and the all-new movie The Last Thing Mary Saw, and so much more. Yeah, and Shudder has just released an exclusive documentary called Woodlands Dark and Days Bewitched. It's the ultimate history of the folk horror genre. Now, Discovery of Witches is one of our favorite shows. And season three just came out last month. And if you're a fan of uh, vampires and witches and demons and everything like that, you've got to check out Discovery of Witches. It's just fantastic. Based on the books by Deborah Harkness, um, it, it, it's it got romance, it's got action, it's got mystery. I mean, you really, you got to check it out. And if your wife likes uh, romance movies and Hallmark movies like mine does, then this is kind of a good middle ground for you both. It's got some of yeah. the stuff that you like and it's got some of the romance that she can get obsessed with as well. Yeah, absolutely. So... If you're a fan of the supernatural, thriller, and all things horror, you're going to love Shudder as much as Adam and I do. And right now, you can stream your first 30 days of Shudder for free. Go to Shudder.com and use our code GRAVE, G-R-A-V-E. That's S H U. 
S-H-U-D-D-E-R.com code GREAT to stream your first 30 days of Shudder for free. That's right. You get your first 30 days of Shudder for free. And it's real simple. All you got to do is go to Shudder.com, S-H-U-D-D-E-R.com and use our promo code GRAVE. That's G-R-A-V-E. Now, this this is one of my favorite stories out of this whole show. Okay? The reenactment crew has an annual award for the best actor, and it's called the Garrity Award. It's shaped like the musket Garrity used to beat Dickerson. Okay? Oh, geez. Every year, something strange seems to happen to the award. Either it goes missing or it mysteriously ends up broken. And the missing award is usually found near where the incident occurred. Oh, wow. Is that not fantastic? I love that. That's cool. (laughs) Seems a little insensitive. Oh, it's a lot insensitive. I (laughs) I like what happens to the... To the award. That's well, kind of cool. This is what happens when you name something like this after a ghost that did something so horrible. Right. And then you you build the award to look like the murder weapon right. or the attempted murder weapon. <laughs> like it's like it's a game of clue or something. Yeah. Uh, uh I think it was Private Garrity uh with the musket. <laughs> On the bridge. <laughs> yeah. Now, so many soldiers were stationed at Old Fort Jackson throughout the years, and quite a few of them decided that they would just stick around. Both American and Confederate soldiers have been seen around the fort, still guarding their posts as if they're still on duty. Staff have often encountered them up close, claiming that they feel a deep dread right before they appear. They usually make a brief appearance, then vanish. Quite a few employees have quit on the spot after encountering a ghost. Even those who don't encounter a ghost directly still feel the haunts. Tourists have reported being trailed by phantom footsteps and a strong sense of being watched upon entering the fort. One encounter involved a newly hired cleaning lady. On her first day on the job, just after they had closed for the evening, she had entered the fort to begin cleaning. Not long after, she began to hear loud, disembodied noises. She stood up to look around to see what was causing the commotion, but when she turned around, she was shocked to see a full-form apparition of a Confederate soldier standing in a nearby doorway. You said shocked, Matt. I I swore you were about to say when she turned around, she was shot. (laughs) And I was like, what? Oh, shocked. Yeah. Oh, okay. The first case of a ghost being able to use a modern firearm. (laughs) Exactly. Or it's that old musket. I don't know. She was shot. Now, after a few moments, she said the soldier vanished into thin air. Now, once the lady was able to snap out of her petrified state, she left and never came back. (laughs) Yeah. Yep. So I can understand that. I mean, look at the look at not only the amount of of experiences that we've been able to share tonight but just the varied nature of these experiences i mean we've right. we've seen um child ghosts we've seen residual haunting we've seen items being thrown we've seen full-on interaction with apparitions 
Um, mm-hmm. We see the the footsteps, footsteps, the multitude of soldiers. You know, all kinds of things. I mean, it's it's A to Z when it comes to paranormal experiences oh, in yeah. Savannah. But as I mentioned at the top of the show, um, my my parents and my my sister and her husband were. Uh, on a trip to Savannah just a couple of years ago. And I, in prep for this show, I asked them, look, you know, um, we're, we're, we're collecting all these, these stories from these places in Savannah. I knew you guys went on a tour. I said, these are the places we're already discussing. And just for your information, if you want to go back and check out episode 90, we did an entire show on the Marshall House, which we don't mention tonight. So if you're listening yep. to the show and you think, oh, I can't believe they didn't bring up the Marshall House, it's because we covered it in an entire episode dedicated just to yep. it. So it's got its own episode. So yeah, so and episode it, ninety, like Matt said, and it and it's it's great. I mean, there's a lot of fantastic stories from the Marshall House. So when you're done with this, if you haven't heard it, go back and check it out. Mm-hmm. Um. But this was this was a story that they shared. Mom and and Wendy shared this story um, with me, and they it was the one that kind of stuck with them. And it it's really really interesting. So this is the story of Alice Riley. Now, Eilish, Eilish, shoot, Eilish <laughs> Riley. This yep. is what happens when Adam and I go longer than an hour and a half. Oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> And it's late, too, so forgive us. Um, Alice Riley escaped the Irish famine in 1733 as an indentured servant at the young age of 15. Alice knew her fate would not be very lighthearted as she was sold into slavery and passed around, as most traffic enslaved women were. What Riley didn't expect was for her master, William Wise, to be one of the cruelest and sadistic plantation owners in all of Savannah. Now, white women who had been taken as slaves typically served as housemaids to their masters. Because Alice was quite attractive, Wise had other plans and would routinely violate her. Now, Alice had befriended Wise's butler, a man named Richard White. Their relationship became romantic, but they kept it secret from Wise. One night, Richard heard Alice's screams and discovered his master's deeds. And together, Richard and Alice planned Wise's murder. Now, Wise had supposedly taken ill. His daily routine was for White to comb out his long hair while Alice bathed him. One day, Alice arrived with the bucket of water while Richard used a handkerchief to strangle Wise. Alice reportedly then held his head in the bucket of water, effectively drowning him. Now, Alice Riley and Richard White were both tried and convicted of William Wise's murder. They were sentenced to be hanged, which was out of the ordinary because female criminals were not typically hanged. However, yeah. Alice was pregnant with Wise's child, and hanging a pregnant woman was just too much for the citizens of Savannah. Mm-hmm. So they immediately executed her lover, Richard White, 
and held her prisoner until she had the baby. And on January 19, 1735, Alice was hanged, becoming the first woman to be hanged in Savannah. Today, the Wright Square is located on Bull Street between West State Street and West York Street and is home to the judicial district of the city. It was also the place where Alice Riley was hanged. Now, it has been home to the city's courthouse since the colonial period. And they say the distraught spirit of Alice Riley still roams the streets around Wright Square. Now, more recently, she has been spotted near gatherings of expectant mothers or mothers with newly born infants. Now, no one really knows if Alice was innocent of the murder of William Wise. Alice claimed herself innocent from the minute of her arrest until her very last breath on the gallows. Ironically, an old wives' tale says that Spanish moss will never grow where innocent blood is shed. Coincidentally, the trees of the trees of Wright Square are the only trees in the city of Savannah, Georgia, that failed to grow Spanish moss. Oh, wild. Yeah. Now, frequently, both locals and tourists alike experience sightings of her ghost. Uh, she always seems to be panicked with urgency to call the police to help find her baby. Only the tenured police know of her as Alice. The rookies are typically sent to go help the non-existent woman. (laughs) So going after uh, Alice Riley to help find her baby is kind of a rite of passage for Ricky policeman. You know, hazing. You're 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 the you're the lucky one. It's like it's like the snipe hunting for Savannah. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) But I thought that was such a cool story. And they. If you if you look at Wright Square, you can actually find photos that have been taken where people say that's Alice in the background. And there's hmm. one in particular I looked at where you can you can see this white image that's obviously a woman, and where she's standing, she would have to be standing in the middle of a row of hedges. I mean, like in the hedge. Oh, weird. So at first glance, it almost looks like um, like a statue, which are very common in Savannah. Um, but the more you look at it, you kind of see this haze around it. And uh, it, it's it's kind of creepy. And there's there's several of them, but it's really, really cool story. And and thanks to mom and and my sister, Wendy. For, for sharing this story with me for the show. Um, I mean, let's face it. I, I'm, I'm, I said before, I'm jealous. Um, I've, I've always wanted to visit Savannah. I've just not had the yeah. opportunity. Um, I would imagine that at some point I definitely will. And, you know, just, I'll just full on geek out ghost hunt when I'm there. I mean, I, there you, you know, yep. I, I, I want to, I want to hunt hunt for ghosts and i want to eat 
good food. I, mm-hmm. That's the only mm-hmm. thing that will be on my agenda when I go. <laughs> so, I understand. I understand. And and so now, you know, I've, I've got a great list of places to visit, and so do you guys. Yep. And as Adam mentioned, we did not make this an all-inclusive uh, list. And you can tell by the length of this show, we, we could have doubled it. Um, to try to add even more places. So I'm sure that our listeners have other stories of other haunted places in Savannah, and we would love to hear them. Oh, yeah. Just hit the mic. So the best place to share those stories with us is in our Facebook group. And so if you're not already a member, get in there because we get some of the best stories from our, our, our listeners you know, they post photographs. I mean, we've had people that have actually visited places we've talked about on the show because we talked about it on the show. I love that. Yeah. I love that. And no doubt we've got listeners that are, uh, that live in and around Savannah. And, and I'm sure you've got even better stories than these. So please, you know, share them with us and the rest of the graveyard. Um, I, I just, I mean, I'd have to say that, you know, it, it's got to be at the top of my list of places to go. Mm-hmm. For sure. So while you're checking out our Facebook group, you can slide on over and check out our website. It's graveyardpodcast.com. And on our site, you can find links to purchase Graveyard Tales merchandise. You can listen to the show and you can become a patron, which Adam mentioned at the top. Um, you know, we have different levels. And for our $5 patrons, you get video of the bonus episodes. And for our $10 patrons, uh, patrons, you can actually get a video of Adam and I doing the actual episode. Um, it's very limited cut. So you get to see us flub. You get to see us pick and poke at one another, you know, pick our nose and do all that other good stuff. <laughs> so. <laughs> so. Thank you guys for listening. I hope you enjoyed this longer episode than usual. And until next time, we'll save you a seat in the graveyard. See you soon. Not even a rim shot on that one, guys. Did Not you, even a rim shot. Did you make that one up? That's no, <laughs> I didn't. Unfortunately. I'd have taken credit for it if I had, but no, I didn't. <laughs>
As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply.